You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Welcome to Proropod. We've got our tea, at least for me, I've got my tea, and we're ready to talk about the mysterious Mr. Quinn. Do you have only tea? You have a tea. I see the huge pea on that, that big mug that you have there. Yes, I have tea and water today. Oh. I do not have any wine So tonight. austere. I know. Well, as, yeah. I, I didn't have time to make tea, so I have wine and water, and I had grapes, but I ate them. All right. Well, we've gone over what we're having for our, be- or for our snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Beverages and snacks. Okay. So this week, we are talking about the mysterious... Quinn, which was published in 1930. Was and it published separately as short stories? Yes, I looked it up and she published the first one in 24 and then the rest of them kind of through the 20s and one of them wasn't published in 30. So mostly okay. it was a 20s thing. I have to say I stinking love this book. Like, <laughs> I thought I loved Tommy and Tuppence. I thought I loved, you know, when she did these other non-Praro, non-Marple things. But this blew my little mind. <laughs> okay, there's so many themes. There's so many things to get into. And we can talk about the stories before we get into themes. But, like, I had no idea. It's so cool. And it's, like, subtly funny, but mostly not funny, mostly serious romantic but it's got all these elements that i just found fascinating and i had no idea i was delighted i was delighted i'm so glad yeah i still like tommy and tuppence better but i do enjoy these because they're mysterious and romantic sometimes sad oftentimes nostalgic or um... is this the only book of the i think there's a couple other short stories where the two of them i want want to read about them yeah okay so set the scene for people who haven't read or who um are not fresh on it the the main characters are mr yeah satterwick i listened to the audiobook but still i have trouble saying i I never picked it up it was just like i'm gonna i'm probably gonna have to call him mr s through this because even when i was talking about it with my partner earlier i kept mumbling through (laughs) yeah it's such an odd name mr satterweight so but he appears to be a single older man in his 60s i think in the first one he's 62 and then later he talks about being 69 right 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 so he's he's older man. He's sixty. Who's got a lot of money, and a lot of taste. Um, so he goes to the opera. He buys art. He sponsors artists. He is the everyone's gay uncle that you would you want to have. Oh, totally. Um, but apparently, and he loves gossip and the human drama. Yes. Although he mostly yes. prefers them to be rich humans. Mostly. 
Um, Although yeah. Towards the end, he gets more uh, fertility, uh, whatever the term Proletariat, is yeah. There it is. There it is. I was like, <laughs> fortunate smart word for this. <laughs> but um, but uh, most of the dramas seem to have deal with countesses or ladies yes, or, you know, country estates. And um, so he's the main character, but then Mr. Quinn of the title is a character who comes into every story. And at some point, Mr. Satterswith, I'm going to say Mr. S, Mr. S <laughs> um, describes him as a catalyst. Right. And I thought it was so interesting because he's like, you know, he and he, he's teaching someone about the concept of um, uh, Cat- catalyst. Yeah. And, um, and he's just like, you know, the, the, the person has to be there or the, the substance has to be there for the thing to happen, but the thing itself is unchanged. And so whenever Mr. Quinn shows up, interesting, interesting things happen for Mr. S, and, but he doesn't do it. It's just that his presence there shifts things. Right. And also he's asks questions. Like, yeah, it's know. mostly yeah, it's mostly him asking questions at the beginning, and then as it gets further in, as Mister S gets more used to him, that it's almost like he doesn't even need him to ask the question. His presence there just prompts Mister S to ask himself the the question that that Mister um, Quinn would ask. So one of the major themes, and I guess we'll explore as we go through the stories, is what is Mister Quinn? Because he's described as a man. A tall, dark man, although I definitely got the sense that he was thin, not a heavy person. And he's supposed to be tall and dark and whatever that means to English people. But also in almost every time that he appears, it looks like he has a mask on and he often looks like he has on a motley colored jacket like a harlequin. Right. And that's the thing that is not subtle. <laughs> His right. name is Mr. Harley Quinn. In almost every story, there's some sort of like his face is lit as if he was wearing a mask and his body is lit with like a multicolored thing. And and then there's often in the story a reference to the Harlequin, which I didn't know outside of like, is it Marvel? No, it's in? DC. I don't know. It's DC. DC. I'm she- sorry. I don't, I'm not a... <laughs> I'm sorry, Portia is the geek who knows these things. I made that as a compliment. But uh, uh, I, I, but I didn't know that reference, but apparently it's an old, old reference that um, comes originally from Italy and is sort of like this character that in a play would keep things going and would be sort of a fool and a jester. Um, and then there's a ballet that includes that character. So throughout this book she refers to him as a harlequin but it's interesting because i didn't like she keeps pulling that in like harlequin 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 like and his name is early harley quinn but i didn't necessarily feel like he was a gesture in any way like right he was giving me more like are you ready for this this is my analogy sort of like meets joe black meets snuffleupagus meets the sixth sense <laughs> you know it's like who's dead and who's alive who's imaginary right and yeah so definitely all of those yes um uh which is why there's a like what is he question um 
Because is Harlequin supposed to be... Uh, because I've actually seen the Harlequin performance in um, Denmark, in Copenhagen. There's a... They... She's bragging, guys. She's totally bragging right now. <laughs> I would do that, too. If I had seen a Harlequin performance in Denmark, I would totally drop So there's right a very now. famous park in Copenhagen, <laughs> which I can't remember the name of the park. Um, but it's uh oh god this is one of those things that's going to be really boring so i should edit it out but there's a famous park it's not boring it's so cool i'm jealous is why i'm saying that you're dropping it because it's so cool i'm jealous Uh, but this famous park which people would know um what they do is they um perform the harlequinade which is the story of harlequin and columbina which comes from the original italian story from the 1500s 16 1200 yeah like it's oh, so. forever long times ago oh tivoli gardens in copenhagen copenhagen oh yeah we have apartments named that here so, so tivoli <laughs> gardens. a lot of apartments named tivoli gardens in dc <laughs> so the um in um yeah so in the harlequinade that's performed in tivoli gardens it's a romance between Harlequin and Columbiana. Um, but it's a dance. It's a pantomime. It's a, but what, yeah. So what is the Harlequin and what is Mr. Quinn is a question that we can, we, we're going to keep coming back to like, because he seems like he's helping out Mr. Satterthwaite it, for Mr. Satterthwaite to help out other people. Yeah. And so, but he comes and goes. And, and he, he comes and goes and he seems to speak, like he references that he speaks for the dead. So often he's showing up when there's been an injustice around a death. Right. And so let's get into the first story. Okay. So the first story um, is at a fancy country it's house. It's called The Coming of Mr. Quinn. And Mr. Sadathwaite. This is, is where we fruit meet him. Yeah. And Mr. Sadathwaite is hanging out at this fancy country house because... That's what he does. That's what he does. Uh, hangs out with rich people. And so it's a New Year's Eve and it's uh, snowing, right? Or really cold. Mm-hmm. And they are chatting and the party includes um, uh, the lady, Laura, and, and Tom Evesham, but the people who own the house. Um, but then mm-hmm. it has another couple um, right? who are visiting... Um, and the wife is from Australia, and the husband uh, is from England, and she's really mysterious. And Mr. Saturdays is like, hmm, what's going on here? Um, and I'm trying to figure out if, if it was just those two couples. Um, but for our who purpose- knows? Yeah, in these stories, sometimes there's like 19 characters, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. But, but the- there's at least those two couples. And then. Um, um, they they talk a lot. They reference a lot about that they were reticent to buy that house because there was a tragedy that happened there, and like the guy that owns it knew the guy that killed himself that he was there. Right. Oh yeah, there was a couple of guys who knew the guy who killed, who talked about this um, this suicide that happened in that house several right. years back. So in the same house, but a different owner, 
And so, but basically, like rich people problems, if you're going to move to an area and you need a certain size of huge house, there might only be one or two in your market. <laughs> so he ended up buying the house that his friend had shot himself in. And he didn't really want to, but he had to live in that area. And it was the only suitable house in the area. So I'm sure it was the only 13 bedroom, nine bath. Right, right. <laughs> where you could have, because it sounded like there was a ton of people staying. Because right. um, Mr. Sadowaite starts out by saying, I'm so glad that the young people have gone to bed. And I'm thinking, well, how many young people are they? And who's young? You know, like, are we talking like 20s? Are they partying? Or are they kids? Later, lady, the lady of the house says, I think the kids probably are going to put hairbrushes. Yeah, I think it's actual children. Actual children. But yeah, but you couldn't quite tell. And um, this is where we first meet Mr. Man, I can't say his name. Mr. S. (laughs) And um, uh, he says something about when he's talking about young people. He said, they lack subtleties. And as life went on, he had becomingly increased. He had become increasingly fond of subtleties. And at this point, he's 62. And so he's kind of, this is where we inter- meet him as a character and to kind of know that he really likes the finer things in life and subtleties and he's not that into the youthful, whatever's going on with them. Right. And then it was fascinating was this is the very first story. And again, if they were published at short stories, this is the first one where she says, um, this is a quote where describing Mr. S where she says, masculine side of, Miss, of Mr. S there. But the feminine side for Mr. Oh, spoke there because he was saying something about her being a beautiful woman. So it was like the masculine side of Mr. S spoke there. But the feminine side of Mr. S had a large share of femininity. Was equally interested in other questions like why did Mr. Portal dye her hair? So we're brought up from the beginning. I don't know if I I think I stumbled over that quote. But the point is that we're introduced to the fact that he has equal or you know, feminine and masculine energy, or at least a lot of feminine energy. And that's part of what makes him a good observer because he could notice things about women that other men might miss. Yeah. And that he's a good listener. They bring that up from the beginning too. Right. And that he's sort of an onlooker in life. Yeah. And so this question, and you know, it's funny, I have read these books several times and it's only once we started enjoying this podcast that I started thinking about the sexuality of her characters. But then when I reread this one again, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> Mr. Satterwaite is gay. Like I, you know, like it was one of those, but they did do a reference to like a woman that, you know, wasn't interested in him at some point. Right. And so I, I do feel like, you know, in today's complex world, like it's it, like five years ago, 10 years ago, I'd have been like, he's gay, but now I can look at it and say like, okay, maybe he's, he's gay and it's simple, or maybe he has a complex gender identity where it's more about his gender identity because he never partnered. Right. Um, but he, there's so many references to have him having equal masculine and feminine energy and how that important that is to his role in life. And it's more about his gender than his sexuality because he doesn't, have a strong sexuality yes yeah, so anyways he's more it's like, fascinating right so he's more and that's like, the thing is because like i go ahead well, i was just thinking about the native american two-spirit which is not about sexuality but it's about gender and two spirits um are supposed to have that um they're supposed to have magic not magical ab- abilities but maybe so they're supposed to be more spiritual two spirits are and um and so, yeah, he's more like that. 
There's a lot. Right. And that, and that's what's interesting is because, you know, and I think there's a fun bitchy gay side of me that likes to be like, oh, anything a little bit gay means he's totes gay. But then when you read through this, it's actually very interesting to like interpret it like as he's com- a complex person with not a lot of sexuality, but, you know, a really complex gender presentation. And that's what people find interesting about him. And people read that on him. Like people are always saying to his face, oh, you're like a woman. You get us. Right. And the fact that he is a patron of the arts, he sponsors artists and singers and like so he's known for all of these things that if he were that are not seen as um, stereotypical um, masculine roles but he owns it just fine um, yeah yeah and there and there's no self-consciousness to him or even the people speaking to him about his femininity the women who say to him you're like a woman you're half woman they're not insulting him. They're not demeaning him. They're just like, oh, I can tell you this because you're like one of us. Right, right. And so it's interesting because I've never heard that anywhere. And I'm reading this 100 years later. I've never seen, and I'm sure it exists, but I haven't consumed it, where someone is just talking to someone like, oh, I, I see that you're presenting as a man in society, but you're also just like me. Like you have all the feminine characteristics. You're like a woman. So I can tell you these things and that there's no shade in that, that it's not like you should feel ashamed or you're gay or whatever. Like it's just, it's just matter of factly told. And I think his gender, the way that the, the other characters speak to it or the narrator speaks to it is just a matter of fact and unapologetic. Right. And that there's no mocking in it because like for me, whenever I think about references to gender and, gender variance historically there's always a mocking tone when it's when it's a variant even with Praro, right? right like he generally there's a mocking tone to his fastidiousness and all that stuff but there's no mocking of mr s right and it's he's just half woman and we're fine with that right right <laughs> and it's because he's half woman that mr quinn maybe appears to him appears for him helps him think appears that- with him um, because also, is it? Let's think. Is it Fight Club? Right. We don't know if it's. <laughs> if he's Snuffleupagus. Right. If he's if Fight Club or Snuffleupagus, choose your imaginary friend. Um, but, but also because Mr. Quinn, and I think the reason I have a, a physical image of Harlequin, um, from because it's a ballet, and it was a ballet when she. But wrote you the, saw in Denmark because you're fancy. <laughs> it was a ballet. <laughs> <laughs> that maybe Agatha Christie had seen or read because it, the ballet at Tivoli Gardens has been going on for a long, long time. So the, her description of Mr. Quinn is tall. Yeah, and- I, I looked, looked that up. That The ballet, um, I think, premiered in the 1900s and this was the 1920s. So it had been going on for 20 years now. So like, she probably had a chance to see it. So, but tall, thin, lithe, acrobatic, like... Um, not a very big masculine presence. You don't get a lot of masculinity out of Mr. Quinn either. No, definitely not. He sits back and he doesn't assert himself. He just subtly asks questions. And he's and that's what I find so fascinating about the book is that like there's these two characters working in concert with each other. Neither of them is a typical man. 
And are either of them real? Are they both mythical? We don't know. But they play off of each other and there's a balance there. And they're both like magical people like in the fact that like they're never a major player in the thing. They're just an uh, accessory to push the, you know, they're a catalyst to push the plot along to solve the problem. They're never directly in relationship with the people. Right. They're not the people who have the drama. They're observing or solving or consoling the drama, but they're not the people who have the drama. And this kind of reminds me, because we we talked about some of the tropes that, so Two-Spirit, we talked about how Mr. S, this is before we started recording, but Mr. S and Mr. Quinn both have a little bit of the magical Negro trope of the observer who comes. Now, I just want to bring up as white people, I, I, we need to be able to refer to that trope. And it's not the N word, but it's not not the N word. So right, it's like, right. Are, are we okay seeing magical Negro? It's a hard, right? Because I'm just like, yeah. Hey. And I guess because <laughs> it's something that I, in college. Anyways, I, I, I get stuck on that word literally because I'm like, I don't really want to say that word either. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah, it's always have to, but. I guess I was thinking about it. But we have to say something to explain the trope because it is the whole like Legend of Bagger Vance, um, Million Dollar Baby, every single movie in Hollywood. Right, right. There's a bystander who's not involved in the drama who fixes the drama off to the side and it's usually... Who who fixes on the sidelines but pulls right out because he's just there to serve your life. Right, and Mr. Satterway and Mr. Quinn together serve this um, purpose. Um, and so there's that trope there's, um, and the reason that I even brought that up is because when my partner and I were looking this up, Harlequin, um, uh, references to Harlequin go into that trope through the American side of things. Oh, like maybe, um, when it was performed here. Yeah. So like literally like looking up the references to Harlequin, it starts with like, he's in a full suit and has a dark mask on. And then like, it goes into that, that magical Negro trope. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. So that's why I even brought, I, that's why I even thought of it because the internet told me. Right. And (laughs) this idea that you can't be involved in the drama and connected to the spirit world. Cause that's kind of what this feels like that Mr. S had a kind of a normal life, but he wasn't, he was just an observer. And then Mr. Quinn coming into his life during these stories um, allows him to get in touch with a spiritual side, which is why it's like Sixth Sense or Meet Joe Death or whatever. Um, so if he's... Meet Joe Meet Black. Joe Black, you're yes. right. Sorry. But, yeah. Way to give away the entire plot of the movie, Portia. Uh, I mean, again, this is, what is it, like 20 years old? You're not spoiling it. <laughs> but anyway. Also, side note, but this is fascinating. So um, my girlfriend is uh, a few years younger than me. And I know that now times everyone in Sesame Street land can see Snuffleupagus. But in our time, only Big Bird could. And it was like this huge trope where like when anyone would come along, Big Bird would turn and be like, don't you think so, Snuffy? 
and then no one else could see Snuffleupagus. And so like I it was a it was a change in in policy. Right. That now everybody can see Snuffleupagus. And so I wasn't sure where my my girlfriend fell on that spectrum. And in her Sesame Street, everyone could see Snuffleupagus. Oh wow, she is that whereas young, I huh? always appreciate I appreciated well, she's not that young. They changed it that soon or both. <laughs> but but it's interesting. Like I feel like that should be the barrier between like you know, whatever it is, Gen X and, oh, Gen X and millennials. millennials. The line is, was <laughs> like, your was... an imaginary friend or a real friend? Because, you know, for us, Cephalophagus, like, you're, you're watching it, and then as you get older, you start to realize, like, ooh, only Big Bird can see you. What does that mean? And you get to draw conclusions about it. And it's like a trope you look forward to, because, like, no one else can see Cephalophagus. But also, it's interesting and that so was when a they... change of policy, which, a side note... I thought it justified like we could all have imaginary friends and that's okay because Big Bird had one. So Right. That's the thing. That's why I was like, why would you change that? Like I like the fact that like only Big Bird could see him. Well I was like, when I found out that, other people, that everyone was seeing Snuffy now, I'm like, what's going on? That's not that's right. Not right. Imaginary friends. We need them. Okay. Uh so we should probably get back into the stories because we've kind of talked about okay, our theories so, okay. about the dude. <laughs> so the dudes together. Back to the first story, the coming of Mr. Quinn. So we're at a we're at a house where a guy killed himself, and then now one of his people from his friend group, which is like rich guy friend group, ended up buying the house, and now he's having a New Year's Eve party. And so they're all kind of sitting around, and Mr. Satterwaite gives his um, observations, especially about Mrs. Portal and her. She dyed her hair black, and she was originally blonde. And he says accurately. Usually it goes the other way. Still to this day, people don't usually dye their hair darker unless, of course, they're gray. But um, anyway, but he's like, why would she dye her hair dark? Um, and he's like, nobody else would catch that, but I do. So, um, and she seems kind of like upset and her husband is drinking too much and he looks scared. So like, what's going on? And then... They're starting to talk about the suicide and Mr. Quinn comes to the door. And this is the first time we meet him. And then as we get the call. He's like, my car's broken down. But he comes in and says he used to know the owner of that house, the one who killed himself. So he kind of gets like a pass with them, like a social pass. Like, okay, well, he knows the guy who used to live here. So And now, of course, by cool. the time we get to the end, when he says, I speak for the dead, he might have knew the guy who lived in that house because the guy who lived in that house spoke to him from the dead. Right. 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 And we, we do find out that Mr. Quinn seems to be sent often when there's been an injustice around death. But at this point he shows up and he like has a dramatic moment where he looks like he's wearing a mask and his clothes maybe looks checkered for a minute in the lighting, but it's just a passing moment. So he comes in and he's a regular guy ish. And he's like, and somehow they, they get on the, the topic of the guy who killed himself. I do remember there was a great line because they said it was run on old fashioned lines. So the women left, right? There was something about how the women left and then the men right. all sat around the fire having a drink, you know? And right. um, so they're sitting around talking about the suicide and um, Mr. Quinn starts doing the thing that we know he does a bunch of other times asking questions and saying, you know, because they're like, it's a mystery. We'll never know. We'll never know. And Mr. Quinn's like, why wouldn't you know? And they're like, because it's been 
10 years or whatever. I can't remember. And they're like, he's like, maybe with a passing of time, you'll have better perspective on it. And that's one of the themes that I found in that, in that moment, it didn't really resonate, but throughout the book, when I actually thought about it and like applied it to my life, I thought that was fascinating. So like Mr. Quinn's point is the further out you get from an event, the better perspective you have, like the historian's perspective is better than the reporter's because you have the perspective of time and everything else. And so he's saying, and he brings up over and over in the book that if we look back at this years later, we actually might solve something we couldn't solve at the time. And I actually found that I was thinking about that, how often in my life that's true, where looking back at it 10 years later, it makes so much sense. But at the time it was just a chaos. Right. And it's um, that I had a professor in college who said that she said, it's not history until it's been 20 years because you can't have the context of how it fits um, until it's been 20 years. And then you can see how much it changed history. But whenever people, reporters like to say, this is history in the making, which is a dumb thing to say because everything is history in the making, but also it's not history right now because we don't really know was this an important day in perspective or was it just a right. day and another day is going to be the more important day. And right. So, yeah. So the characters kind of fight against him. They're like, well, we were there that day and we didn't figure it out. So why he killed himself. So why would we be able to know now? But he kind of points out or he makes the case that you actually do better with more time in between. So that he starts to like talk them through. And I think, of all the cases, and especially as a short story, this one, he makes the biggest role. Like, he has a lot of lines. Right, and he's right. literally walking them through it more than in the future ones, he more prompts Mr. S. And so he does a lot of, like, hey, what uh, what was happening before? What did you have for dinner? Um, did you have to call the cops? Because they had dinner with this guy, and then he got the mail arrived because there had been a snowstorm. He got the mail, he went upstairs and he shot himself. And they were like And and the crazy thing was he had just been having dinner with the homies and he was like, Hey guys, um I'm I just got engaged and well I can't really tell you yet, but I probably just got engaged, but I can't really, you know, I can't it's kinda like, you know, on the download right now, but I'm gonna be so happy. And he had the mood of someone who had just pulled off something like he just pulled off something great and so his friends then he goes upstairs and shoots himself and his friends were like what because he was just so happy it was talking about he was going to get married but he like had big news but he couldn't quite talk about it and then he goes upstairs and shoots himself and so then they're like looking at the historical context because he didn't open any of his letters even though he'd gotten his mail but he had gotten his newspaper and they talked about what was in the newspaper that day and they said oh yeah that was the day they were exhuming the body of a husband a dude who was killed that the wife was charged with because they were exhuming the body to see if there was poison in him and they're like oh yeah that was in that that was that day that fixes the time um and then mm-hmm. and they really and that took mr quinn's prompting to get them there like there was there any like big news events that you can like file this in retrospect where would you put this and they're like oh yeah that happened on the day that 
we heard the news that they were going to exhume the body for that case that ended up being a big case in the news. And then they um, talked a little bit about that case and said that the wife was charged with the murder, but not convicted. Um, but there was still a lot of suspicion around her because they never could figure out who killed the guy. And she left and maybe went to Canada or maybe went to Australia, which is important because as we mentioned there was a woman at the current party who was from Australia um, and who may have, may have been changing her right. appearance. And then um, <laughs> they said, Oh, we were going to, we had to go get a hold of the police after he killed himself. And they said, Oh, did you call? And they were like, no, there wasn't phone service here yet. So this is, you know, the mid twenties. So phones are new. Um, so, but fortunately the constable had come by because the dude's dog had disappeared and he found the dog. So he was bringing the dog back. So through all this prompting, they figured out that, um, oh, and um, the guy who killed himself knew, had visited the guy whose body was being exhumed. Right. And. Right. He had visited them about a week before the guy died. And. The other thing was, is who was he going to be engaged to? Because they assumed that it was this woman that he used to be seen around. And they were like, actually, recently he hadn't been seen around her. Um, right. So he, when he had told his friends, oh, I'm, I'm getting engaged, blah, blah, blah. But I can't quite talk about it yet. They all assumed it was the woman he'd been going out with before. But they hadn't been hanging out in like a year. Right. And there wouldn't really be a reason for that to be a secret. But they just hadn't thought about it. They assumed it was her. And then when he killed himself, they were like, well, that was weird. But they never thought so about then it. This... But maybe when Mr. Quinn prompts them, it's like, maybe it wasn't that girl. Maybe it was someone else. So the solution was actually really ingenious. And I can't remember, did Quinn actually help with the solution or did Satterwhite? Satterwhite must have be the one who come up with a solution. I feel like in this one, Quinn like walked them up to the park right. or walked them up to yeah, the point. And then, yeah. But Satterwaith was, yeah. Um, because Mr. Quinn always says it wasn't me. It was you. So. Right. That's what I feel like. But this, this story, when I went back was the most like, yeah, it was really, you, yeah. Mr. Quinn. <laughs> and the rest of him, Mr. He, he gets Mr. S there. Um, but I feel like in this one, he kind of pushes it most. And then he, at one point, he... And that what's interesting is from the beginning, and that's why I really like the mood of this writing, because even in this very first story, Mr. S has a lot of introspection. And he's like, as soon as Mr. Quinn arrived, I felt like I was in a play. Oh, yeah. And so he's watching it happen, and he's watching Mr. Quinn sort of like direct this and like do these leading questions and then he turns to Mr. S and is like tell me about blah 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 or say you know what do you think about this and he's like finally my lines are here like it's my role and so he 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 realizes from the beginning that it's a drama being played out to get them to a certain point and when it's his cue he's like oh it's my cue let me get it right but he knows what to say and he's excited because he but gets it's really part. interesting because he's reading the room in this very like meta sort of way. Like he's not in the conversation. He's observing it. Right. And it, but I think that they talk about his role in life is as an observer. 
And so it's kind right. of exciting for him to not just be the observer. He actually has a line that will make a difference. Right. And so figuring it out that what happened was the dude who killed himself had killed the guy's husband. And how he did it was he put strychnine or arsenic or whatever in. It was no, that was the big point. It was strychnine, not arsenic. Speaking of catalysts, because arsenic would be immediate, but strychnine, you need a higher concentration. So it was at the bottom. So of his... he basically, when he had left, he left it in the port bottle in the decanter. And so, like when the when the guy who had a nightly get glass of port had his last one of the week, that's when he got most of the concentration of the strychnine, and that's when he died. And the wife had figured out that this guy who loved her did it, so she smashed the bottle. Because he'd been staying there and like wooing right. her, and she'd been like, "Oh wait, this is fucked up. You have to go away." Even though I have this old gross husband and I'm a young and person, and apparently the husband was horrible. And you're great, right? Yeah, he was horrible and old and gross, and she was young and, you know, probably, ch- you know, sex trafficked into being a child bride. So, you know, there she is trapped in a young age in a, in a terrible marriage, and then he comes along and he's like, this is messed up, and he falls in love with her. And then she's like, ah, but I can't be cheating with you, so you get out of here. And then he heroically <laughs> drops strychnine in the old guy's port on his way out of the door, but then it puts her right, in suspicion. Right, so she smashes the bottle because she's trying to save that guy's from getting caught but then everybody thinks it's her um because they see her smash the port bottle and then they zoom him because they see that and so what happened was is that the paper says the body's being exhumed the guy goes upstairs and then he sees the constable show up and he thinks the constable's there to arrest him for the murder Right, so he sees Buddy being zoomed, sees a cop show up at his house. He's like, they're coming to get me. Let me shoot myself. But really, the cop was showing up because his dog was lost. And so uh, that's why he killed himself. So they figure it out. But one thing we didn't mention is that while the men were having this conversation, Mr. S and only Mr. S could see that Mrs. Portal, the woman who dyed her hair dark, snuck down the stairs and was hiding on the staircase or something where only Mr. S right, could somewhere see her on the landing. was just sitting listening to the conversation about the suicide and we know now is the reason she was doing that is because that was the man who she had loved but who had killed her husband. Right, right. So she was the young bride whose husband had died and then after all this went down then she moved to because Australia. Because everybody thought she really had done it. And the reason... Right. And then I guess she'd met her husband in Australia and he'd always suspected her. He'd always, like, she told him the whole story and he'd always been like, yeah, I believe you. Mostly. Right. But you might strychnine me one day. I don't really right. trust you. Um, and so... Um, she knew that he didn't trust her and they were both not doing well. And so that conversation where they figure out why he killed himself saves her because she decided she was going to kill herself that night because she couldn't take the suspicion. And that there's, and that's a running theme through the book. There's a lot of times where people want to kill themselves before something comes out or before a truth is realized. Right. And so doc, uh, not doctor, Mr. Quinn's appearance and prompting, which now we, by the end of the book, realizing that 
he might have been set by the guy who killed himself to fix the situation like now she's gonna kill himself and so he's like oh my gosh okay i need you to go and fix this (laughs) right so um (laughs) but anyway at the moment it just like they finish their conversation they've realized why he killed himself and then this, uh, Mr. Quinn's like, oh, I'm sure my car is fixed now. I'm going to go back to my car. And he leaves. Right. And I, um, I noticed in going back that, and I, again, if this was published as a series of short stories, what a freaking masterpiece. Because at the end of this story or chapter, Mr. Quinn on his way out says to Mr. S., makes a reference to the Harlequinade ballet, which is how the story ends, the last chapter, and says, you know, you, you should see it. You should see the Harlequinade. And he says, Symboli- the symbolism is a little hard to follow, but the immortals are always immortal. Which, going back and rereading the book, you're like, ah! Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me over the head with it. Um, and it's true, because I when you try to look at the symbolism in this book, it's a little hard to follow. I mean, some of it she's very overt with and other ones you're like, what are we doing here? I like it, right. but I'm unsure. I want to, I want to write think pieces in college about it. <laughs> right. Um, but he references that ballet where the book ends in the very first one. And so I was like, that's pretty awesome writing and pretty nice right. bow tying. Right. If, or I don't know if she went back when it was published as a book into the you know separately. Right. So that first one has All right. so everything. That's, that's 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 the first story. Um. So the second one, it drove me crazy at the very beginning because it was so much trying to introduce seventeen characters. <laughs> It is. It really is. There's like all these people. And when you figure it out, it's not that many people right. you need but to figure at out. The beginning, but at the beginning, you're like, who is I'm doing so what? Because, and again, this time it's Mr. Satterway staying at a different country house. Right. Like most of this book is him staying at country or, houses. Yeah, or, or yeah, he goes <laughs> to, yeah. You're right. Is it most of them? Might be most of them. I mean, yeah, or vacation. He, I mean, he also, like, it's funny because he keeps referring that Mr. Quinn doesn't have a home, <laughs> but, like, we've also never been to Mr. Right. S's home. He's always either on vacation or right. at someone's country home. And, again, I think that's one of the things where I keep thinking, is he... Um, right. Which, which one is he? Uh, is he real? Is... is he is he the Sixth Sense? What's, um, who's uh, Die Hard? Oh, is his he... Name? Um... Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Yeah. Is he Bruce Willis in the sixth sense? Like, because because he's like Mr. Quinn doesn't have a home. He comes and goes. He's always staying somewhere. But then it's like, we've never been to your home. You're always at country homes. You're you are always on vacation. Like, you also don't have a place to right. be, sir. So the second one, we're at this country home. Yeah. So is he? Is he? Is he a Fight Club slash? Six cents. Ooh, all of the imaginary friends. And he predates all of them, so they all he, he can be the inspiration right. for I all. Mean, of them. I don't know That's how awesome. many people actually read this. So, um, anyway, so we're staying at this house called Greenway's house, which apparently um, Agatha Christie bought like ten years later. Um, she, yeah, interesting. Okay. 
Um, but uh, anyway, so this house, um, fancy house, has a bunch of gardens, but apparently has a um, haunted window, which is such a trippy thing to be haunted. Uh, yeah, there's, so there's this cavalier, which um, is a term not just from ballets, <laughs> I found out when I read this story. Yeah, that- it's a um, one of the British War Civil Wars, the Cavaliers versus the Roundheads, or something. Yeah, I always just thought it was the guy that dances with the <laughs> ballerina. <laughs> well, we didn't study a lot of British history. But yeah, so so there was something about um, there's a Cavalier wife leaves it. Wife ran off right with a Roundhead, and they killed him when they left this was the the legend of the house and then so as yeah, they're yeah, leaving yeah, yeah. they turn around and even though they killed him when they left um uh they could see him in the window they look back and through the window they can and, see him through the window and so now centuries later or yeah, I don't centuries, know, decades centuries later, <laughs> times that, later that's a civil war centuries later uh 1600s oh man People who know British okay, history. Yeah. So centuries like, later. Suck. Yeah. <laughs> so centuries later, um, you, people, whoever has this house, even though they've replaced the window, that image of this cavalier looking through the window, only from far away. Like if you're up close, you can't really see it. But if you're far away enough, you can see this image of this cavalier. So then, then there's some kind of love triangle. And it took me a while to figure it out yeah. because, again, it's a country house with a lot of guests. But basically, there's a couple of married couples and the ex of this husband shows up and... And she's a missus, but she doesn't seem to and, be with anybody. So we don't know if she's a, a widow or whatever. Like, she's a missus somebody, but she also is clearly and available. So, but she shows up and people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you invited her when he's here with his new wife and so there's this love triangle going on and so we're like oh this is going to be drama um but there's other random people that were like are we supposed to be paying attention and the people who are interested in the window and mr saddlewaith knows the story of the window and he's like showing it to people and the owner of the house is like i'm going to get the window replaced i'm tired of this creepiness and they had boarded up on the inside the wife is the, the the husband is like it's awesome because we have a haunted thing and like people want to come to our haunted country house but the wife is like this right. is creepy and she's Let's like we're it. rich enough we're gonna replace it every every month even if it gets haunted again so then that's the setup right. and then um all of a sudden there's a shot heard two shots and everybody runs to this one garden that the haunted window overlooked and the wife and a random dude who I hadn't even paid attention to were shot dead. Right. Uh, and and then and then and then the ex girlfriend is found holding the gun, and so they're like, "Oh, the ex girlfriend was jealous, so she shot the wife." Right. And, and so we're dude. like, you know, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, what's happened? Everybody's there. The husband comes rushing. Everybody comes rushing, and like okay, well, we have to take the this woman away. And then Mr. Quinn shows up. And they start talking through what happened. And he says, Mr. Satterwaite, you are the one who's the observer. You have good impressions. What was the most important impression? He said, 
Well, she, her earring was shot off the young wife. Cause everybody right. was like, Oh, this is such a tragedy. This young wife was killed by this ex-girlfriend and um, her earring was shot off. And they're like, well, wait a minute. There was only two shots. How did her earring get shot off? And the, and she got shot and Ren right. got so shot. Like, how's that? Not two, but everybody only heard two. And right. so then they're like, well, it could have been a shot through the earring and then one shot for the two people, but then they would have to be facing each other. And then it would, they would have to be facing each other, almost and embracing. Like, Wait a minute, random dude and wife? That's the love triangle? So it turns out the husband went up to that... Right, because they'd been in Egypt. Um, he was from Egypt and... She had been in Egypt, and that's where she actually met her husband. So she and Random Dude had been together previous to right. marriage in Egypt. So totally unknown love triangle that nobody knew about. It. And then, and then what he did was actually, so the wife of the house had had replaced the glass, and apparently the ghost takes a while to come back on the pane, so <laughs> it wouldn't have been ghost time. But the husband understood that he could get through to this like yeah because it was just glass. there was a wood panel in front of it there was which... paneling over it <laughs> wood paneling awesome but uh yeah so he like you know played around and like opened the wood paneling and looked at the window and saw his wife in secret embrace with random dude and i guess in the moment decided to shoot them, he was a good shot or something. Yeah, and then because he was yeah because he was oh, he was a big right, game hunter. Right. That was the whole thing. He was a big game hunter. And he and his best friend were big game hunters. That was their right. that was their jam. And so he uh, so he shoots them as they're embracing. So one shot through both bodies, and then second shot her earring. And then I guess I don't really I didn't really understand. I know that sometimes in the real book there's a diagram. I needed one in this case because he apparently he then tossed the gun from the window to the patio to be right by them so that his ex would pick up the gun when she came. Oh, you know, happened to happen that she came along and picked up the gun. But it seems like it's far to throw a gun to places. So it's like, was this garden right underneath the window? I couldn't quite yeah, picture like, how right close it would be. But because that window was normally boarded up, you wouldn't think anybody could see you. So they would think right. they had Right, and privacy. if they looked up and saw somebody, they would think it was the ghost. Right. Um, and the crazy part was, well, that was, I mean, that's the crazy part is that he killed people. But then, turns out his ex was actually in love with his best friend who was also a big game hunter but less <laughs> <Right>. killy. <laughs> and so that w- this is this one kind of starts off with the whole like happy ending where it's like, "Oh, you thought she killed your wife? No, she didn't. You killed your wife. But actually, she's in love with your best friend and now, now they're going to get together right. and so happy ending." That's the romance because there's a romance in almost every single one of these. 
And so then that case, yeah. it was that romance. So I guess the question is, in that right. case, who was Mr. Quinn speaking for? Or was he just speaking for the two people who were just killed and he showed up right then? Right. So I think in that case, he's speaking for, I, I think he speaks for the dead, but he, he's, his point seems to often to be to prevent an injustice. So like this girl who was the ex-girlfriend was looking like she killed them because she showed up at the scene of the crime and right. picked up the gun. For the listeners, don't right. do that. When you arrive to the scene of the crime, you, you do call 911 and you don't touch anything. You do not pick up the gun and say, oh, I just picked this up and put my hand, my fingerprints right. all over it. Which, <laughs> yeah, which the ex-girlfriend um, definitely should have um, should have known that because, you know... Right, and, and and that's the thing because even in the first story, the big happy ending was now this couple can live in peace because he's not going to be constantly worried that she's going to kill him and she's not going to kill herself right. tonight. So again, there was like a romance happy ending in number one, and a romance right. happy ending in this one, and that is definitely a theme in almost all of them. Or closure. Yeah, closure, <laughs> and then. Um, the third story is at the Bells of Motley. Um, and I loved it because, um, so Mr. S, I'm very <laughs> fond of. And he's a fussy, rich old man with like, you know, rich taste. Um, but he's a nice guy. And so they, his car breaks down and his driver is like in the middle of nowhere. And he asks his driver, he says, what is this place anyway? Being a little gentleman considerate of the feelings of others, he substituted the word place for godforsaken whole, which had at first risen to his lips. And I was like, okay, I like this guy. <laughs> he totally won me over with that. I was like, I also would like to say godforsaken whole, but say place often, probably weekly. Right. And so, but you don't. You say, huh, look at this place. Place at this opinion <laughs> <laughs> look at this nice. perspective like <laughs> so in this godforsaken hole he goes to the local inn called the bells and motley and goes into the restaurant of the inn and mr quinn is there and he's like now i love this place because now he's ha hung out with mr quinn twice and it was like ooh, both times when i hung out with you it was an interesting story that i got to solve so now, and when it, when when he gets referred to the Bells of Motley as a place to get something to eat while his car's broken down and his driver's working on it, someone is talking about the motel or hotel, I'm sure hotel. Um, and is talking about the clientele there and says, "Well, it's kind of the kind of people that come and go." And Mr. S is like, "Isn't that the <laughs> definition of a hotel?" <laughs> Right, people that come and go, but then that carries through both in this story and in other stories with Mr. Quinn. Where Mr. Quinn is like, Well, I come and I go again, sort of referring to his right, supernaturality right. or whatever it is. <laughs> but it's funny because, like, and that's where I like it because the book uses those kind of like winks, like people that come and go to be supernatural, but then also just sort of he's like, That is what hotels <laughs> right. are for. <laughs> 
is the people that come and go. And so it's like, it's a very subtle humor in this, but I like it because it's just like <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So, but then how the mystery happens is the owner of this hotel and the, his daughter who works there is like serving stuff. It's a horrible stormy night and the owner walking over says it was on a night such as this, which starts this story yeah. about something that had happened um, a year ago. And right. And we've learned at this point to understand that like crimes, like the perspective of the book is that crimes a little bit out with a little bit of time right. are better. to solve. So the, the, what the crime was, it wasn't really a crime. It was a mystery because what happened was is that a um, huge the huge house in town had been bought by a rich Canadian, and she was un she was an orphan or something. That was the story was that she was an orphan, and she had a chaperone yeah. because yeah. she was a rich Canadian, and she had lived in the house. And then she met a dude, um, and uh, who came to the inn. They got married in two months so he came oh, yeah. to fox hunt and then know. um they got married engaged within two months and then a month later they were married they went on a honeymoon they came back from their honeymoon and then her husband disappeared and that's the mystery right like immediately like he's walking down the garden and then he's gone and they never and heard so from that's him the again. big mystery and then after that she sold her fancy house to an American millionaire and left because she was heartbroken. And so the night such as this is like the, the owner of the hotel is like, well, it's one of those deep, dark mysteries and he's just bullshitting. But then it turns out that his daughter um, was engaged to or going out with the guy, one of the people who was suspe- um, uh, suspected of doing a crime, because this guy disappeared, but everybody thinks he was murdered. So there's sus- there's suspen- uh, the suspicion on this young guy, who the daughter of the hotel owner likes, and he- she's like, he's getting bitter because everybody looks at him suspicious, and so there is a romance. And then he's like, and then and then it was so interesting, right? When you think of like. Uh suspicion and police things because she's like he gets sick of everyone looking at him like he committed a crime so he acts you know bitter which makes everyone else think that he that definitely proves that he committed a crime and i was like well the middle right. level that's really right. interesting right and so they have a reason to try to solve this now because there is this romance of this young woman and so uh, then Mr. Quinn and Satterway talk it through and think about what had been happening a year earlier around that time. So um, there was a, the gardener and wife who lived on the house. Um, and then. Uh, well, and, and that's where um, it really is interesting because um, Mr. Quinn says, Mr. Satterway, oh, I did it. Sometimes it's harder. <laughs> Mr. S. Mr. Satterwith said, 
you know, like, how could we figure this out when they, when they, nothing was figured out at the time? And Mr. Quinn says, well, let's pretend it's a hundred years later. And it's interesting because we're recording this in 2020. And he said, let's pretend it's 2025. Right. And wasn't that weird to so, like, it's because when I, it was so interesting time, to be like just five years out. It was a long ways away. I was reading it in the 80s, 90s. So, right. But now, now it's like, that's five years away. So, yeah, I love that. Right. So it was interesting. So he was like, so don't look at it like now. Look at it from like, we're in the year 2025. What was it like now if you were looking back from then? And it was really interesting to be, and then he, that he gets Saturday, wait, Saturday, wait, <laughs> he gets Mr. S <laughs> to look at the era and with more perspective. Said the year 1925 was the year of crossword puzzles and cat burglars. And so there must, I mean, I right. think crossword puzzles were starting to be more and more a thing. And then there was Apparently. a bunch of cat burglars in France who had got a bunch of stuff. And um, there were three people uh, suspected and they disappeared. Um, yeah, so there was like this, there was a big robbery from a chateau or some fancy French place where they suspected this family of acrobats because like what the f- acrobatic feats that had to be done to get these jewels out of this chateau were so immense that it had to be this family. But they were never and convicted. so um, then he's like, oh, that's interesting. So uh, the other thing was um, Mr. Quinn does a nice ask the question if we say that the disappearance of this husband the day after the honeymoon if that goes away that's a distraction right he he analogizes it to a magic trick and he's like if this is a conjuring trick and the gunshot over here or the red flash over here is the distraction and then he he sort of like prompts Mr. S to be like, what is a distraction? And so he's like, maybe it's the disappearance because the disappearance is the thing so that's gotten re- all the really news. happened without the disappearance is a young woman comes in, buys this house, with lives with a chaperone, and then it a six months later sells it with all the contents and leaves. That's the result. And um, her gardener and um, cook also left and went to another place. And that's what happened. And what's important is they use the word that she sold the house. And because she was heartbroken, all of the contents. And she did. Right. Just bought And this American millionaire understood, like, bought it, but but he was a connoisseur so it wasn't that he was like gullible and like didn't know it was good stuff but he he was a connoisseur and he knew this was like stuff of really high value and was like okay I'm getting this at a great price I'll pay you a big price for like the house and the contents and basically the because it was this in this moment of grievance grie- grieving not grievance right grievance but would be a like moment of grief upset like not sad upset <laughs> but more of a caring <laughs> grief because she was in grief um that they didn't scrutinize the source of a lot of the jewels so that's why they were able to basically like embezzle 
through this and just be like, oh, these jewels that we got from this robbery, now we can pretend they're the heirlooms of this French Canadian. Who was actually just French. French Canadian. Um, right. But because of the circumstances of the husband's disappearance, they didn't scrutinize the contents whereas if they she had just put up a bunch of stuff up for sale they'd been like well, right just recently stolen so it was a great cover-up where the three people were this young lady who pretended to be a rich heiress who is an orphan and then um the man played two roles he played the gardener and he played the husband who disappeared and he was able to do both Right, and that was it, and 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 then the the mom played the wife. So basically, the it was a family of a mom and two kids, and the mom played the older lady, the daughter played the young woman, and then the son played both the young man and the and, older man, um, and played. He played husband to both of his <laughs> mom and sister, which is gross all the way around. <laughs> it was all an X. That's fine. I mean, they did steal a lot of jewels. Um, it, well, I mean, but right. that's not incestuous. Right. It's like not. Right. It's not great, but it's not gross. Um, and it's so, just, you know. uh, yeah, because if you steal a bunch of jewels, <laughs> then how do you fence them? Because there's everybody's going to be looking for them. So what you do is you take on an entirely new identity, and you sell the jewels in a moment of grief to an American millionaire and then you right. leave town. And, um, and so they figured out that the guy who disappeared wasn't a guy. He didn't disappear. And so therefore. Right. So basically he just, he didn't disappear. He just he was ceased to exist. Two people. Cause he was yeah. the same guy playing. Um, and people. so. Um, then. Um, that means that the young lady who is in love with the young man who was accused, um, now he could be cleared. And so all they have to do is yeah. examine the stuff in the house and see if it was the stuff that was stolen from France. And basically, it seemed like the whole point of figuring all of that out, because they're probably still not going to catch these people that did the crime, was that the young woman whose father owns the Bells in Motley, she is engaged to or in love with the horse trainer that was fired by these people, probably or because just he saw too him, much or something. Yeah, just to but make basically him guilty, quarreled, look guilty. A suspect, yeah. But basically, he was working for them, and then he was fired. And so, when the guy goes missing, they're like, "Oh, he probably did it. Right. We know that guy, and he's you know a regular guy." And then this rich guy disappears. He probably did it. And so, this young woman whose dad owns the inn, she loves him and she wants to marry him. But her dad's like, "Not that guy. He's probably kind right. of killy. We're not sure about him." So the whole point, it seemed like karmically of this story was to clear the to clear his name so that he could so in this marry case, her and have a good life there wasn't any dead that mr quinn was speaking for yeah it, you're right it yeah, wasn't but, death it was just yeah because they thought there, there wasn't a dead, a dead person. person 
That's a good I point. I didn't, I didn't process that. You're right. And, you know, what happens is that um, they figure it out. And then Mr. Quinn's like, I'm leaving the Bells and Motley. My job is done. And at this point, we're still a little bit like, what do you mean your job is done? You just got here? You know, not realizing that his <laughs> right. helping Mr. S solve these is his job. Yeah. Right. So anyway, literally what he does. So that was the third one. Um, the next one, uh, Mr. S is still just an observer at this point. Right. And, um, but this one, he kind of takes a turn. So what happens is, is he goes and watches a murder trial. Um, and it's again, love triangle, fancy people, murder trial. Cause lady, Burnaby, I think, was murdered and she had a lover but he had maybe broken off with her, said that he had broken off with her but she invited him over and um, his her husband was very fastidious and he was going to play poker or something and um, so her lover or maybe ex-lover shows up and he'd been sh- sh- um, hunting shooting and he leaves his gun outside goes in Apparently they might have argued, but anyway, he leaves and goes home, forgets his gun, and then she's found murdered, so everybody thinks he did it, and that was what was on trial. So Mr. S watches the trial, and he was convicted. And then he was convicted. Mr. S watches the trial trial and watches the conviction, and then goes to... Um, one of his favorite restaurants and asks for his spot because he's the kind of man who has a spot. And then he's like, Hey, there's somebody in my spot. Ah, it's Mr. Quinn. Awesome. So um, then he's like, Ooh, what you watch? And he's like, I watched the murder trials. They talk him through and they talk through all of the witnesses from this murder and uh, everybody rushed to the find the lady murdered, right? Then they, I can't remember, but there was a bunch of witnesses and they called all of them except for this one mm-hmm. maid. And they couldn't call her because Canada. she had like the middle of nowhere, Canada, Canada. too. Um, and so Mr. S. This is where it's like, dude, he goes to Canada after talking to Mr. Quinn, although he does say, hey, can I see you again? Because he's like, we're not done. Because usually when we get together, Mm -hmm. I figure it out. But we're not done. So can I see you again on this one? And Mr. Quinn's like, yeah, I'll see you again. And he goes to Canada. And I'm just like, this is not like a minor thing to do, especially in 1925. Well, he, I mean, he did the same thing. He was like, um, I was going to go to the Riviera <laughs> and then relax. And Mr. Quinn was like, you look, you're rich, you have the means, and we have questions, you got to go. So he decides to go to Canada to like take a, yeah, and he can't. It's not flying times. It's right. taking a so a this sea is a, trip. This is a, a chunk of both journey. money and time, which, as we've discussed, he's got money, right? And it doesn't seem to 
have a job. He's got time. Um, so he's got time. So why not go to Canada just to talk to this maid? Right. But basically, he's like tracking down the one maid that wasn't at the trial because something. And, and he finds out that she got this job in Canada very abruptly and that they offered her a huge amount of money. She was and definitely so she got out of the down. way. And so there was something. So then, but he talks to her and he's like, she's like, oh, I knew something was bad could happen because the smoke from the train going by looks like a, what did it look like? I can't even remember. Yeah. I didn't didn't understand it, but she took it as a bad sign. She took it as a superstitious sign. He goes back to the restaurant and magically Mr. Quinn is there. Because that's what he does. And he's like, well, she was gotten out of the way, but she didn't know anything. And Mr. Quinn's like, or does she? And then, well, and that's what's funny is because, like, so in his Canada trip, he finds that he talks to her, but he also finds out that the English people paid for her to be recruited over there and gave it extra money so that they could pay her a, a, an insane amount of money that she couldn't say no to. So clearly she was got out of the way. And so to me, it was like giant red flag. Right. She was got out of the way for something. And so when Mr. S goes to Mr. Quinn, it's like, well, that was a wild goose chase. It's like, obviously it's not right. because why was she got out of the way so quickly? And they, in their cover story to the Canadians made it sound like there was a personal you know someone shouldn't have slept with somebody thing we gotta get this made out of the way that was right. why but that's yeah, clearly not just, why yeah because then she had this like you know superstitious thing and Mr. S is like okay that doesn't make any sense but then it they talk it through and they're like huh what train did she see the smoke of and they're like well, it couldn't have been the up train because that goes at six o'clock, but it couldn't have been the down train because that's supposed to be at six twenty-eight. And they said they all said that they heard the shot at six twenty. So, what train? And then they're like, "Wait a minute! Did the shot happen ten minutes later?" And right. Therefore, the husband who didn't leave his poker game until 6.30 could have gone, found the lover's gun, shot her, and then come back around and left the house by the side door and come back around to the garden to be greeted by the servants to tell him. And how did he was he able to do it is he changed all the clocks in the house right and he didn't even do it on purpose he just winds the clocks on fridays so they just tend to run a little fast on fridays so when he happened to kill his wife well, i wonder did he do it on i thought he did it on purpose i thought that he wound the crocs and made them 10 minutes early on purpose right that could be it. But either way, it was basically a timing issue. And because this maid could name the fact that she could see the train before the shot, it basically brought the time of the murder to be 
late enough that the husband could have done right right and so um figuring all this out in a restaurant then now mr s can go and yeah well what was the conclusion for that one we're saving saving? martin the guy who was accused of killing her right oh right because he's about to get hanged that was a big one where it's like a guy's and that's how he that's how he oh, guilt yeah. him into going to Canada. Because Mr. S was like, I kinda wanna go to the Riviera and just chill. And Mr. Coon was like, Oh, well a guy's gonna be hanged in ten days, so Right. You should take you should your money do, and your you time right and you thing. should go to Canada and talk to this maid. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so now he's saving the life of Martin. Which maybe Lady Burnaby sent him in that case because she loved Martin even though he didn't love her anymore or something. So maybe. Right. Um, so the next one is kind of different. There's no death. There's no suspected death. There's no mystery, really. It's fascinating. Okay, I am... Um, it's very late my time, so I, I was about to fold, but this one I love. Okay. So let's okay, get through this we'll one, and then we will pause Okay. until next week for the next episode, um, because it's almost 1 a.m. for me. But this one is fascinating, so... Right, the French Riviera, I think. Somewhere in the Riviera. Um, and... Yep. Satterwaite. Yep. Did I do it there? Because he vacations there all the time. Um, And he was kind of saying how, like, the people are turning over. You know, the wealthy aren't coming here as much anymore. He He was kind of disappointed in the crowd. Start out with him saying, God damn it, I'm old. He doesn't ever say, God damn it. But um, (laughs) he does start out this one, like (laughs) a couple of the other ones, bitching about being old because everything's different. <clears throat> or he doesn't enjoy stuff or he feels left out or whatever. And in this case, he's watching these young people. So there's a couple of young Americans and this countess. And it's hilarious the way he refers to the countess because the the young American guy comes to Mr. S and is like, Without even so she asking. told me, you know, she, she, she really looks... 27 but she confided <gasps> in me that she's 35 and mr s is like she's yeah really he was like my estimation 49. He said this, my estimation is she's between 45 and 49 but okay so this young man has got to be 21 right yeah i mean he's a kid and like they um i wish i had written down the reference but like referred to being midwestern american like it's like whenever agatha christie referred to american shade right. <laughs> and then midwestern double shade like she's just like had the miss midwestern sort of way of interacting and it's just this way of like where he's simple and wants to impress but he's and has totally no overwhelmed and has no by this woman who's clearly like almost 30 years old right so him. he's right and but and... she's a countess supposedly and she's fancy and she has all these jewels and his american friend who's a woman is right. not impressed well, she's with any of also this. jealous because here's this countess beautiful kid and I mean, so the american jealous. woman is supposed to be with the american man but instead 
he's like following around the countess like ooh she's so hot um and then um the countess had apparently been with lots of people and had gotten jewels from the king of bosnia and so she had all these jewels and then apparently the king of bosnia Right, she's supposed to have the crown jewels of Bosnia and then pearls so then, from the king um, of Bosnia. The yeah. king of Bosnia was going to show up the next day with his new young love. And so, but instead, uh, people were like, ooh, what's the countess going to do? But instead, she showed up wearing nothing but a white dress and no jewelry. Just. Right. So, so Miss Young Bosnia King Boo shows up at the casino all decked out and so they're all kind of like waiting to see what the countess will do because she's like the ex of the king of bosnia and she's normally the shit on the you know casino floor or whatever but she shows up when knowing that this other woman's going to be all decked out without a stitch of jewelry on her in a simple white dress just to be like look how classy i am without anything right, right? so she's definitely she's competing betting and she's been betting um over the last couple of days and mr satterwaite has watched her and then they bet their last bets of whatever she has with her um on roulette and he on puts roulette. on five and she bets on six and five wins right and five wins the maximum but they both reach out and the croupier the guy who does the ball thing in the roulette. Yeah. Points to you for knowing that <laughs> um, term. Gives the winnings to the countess, not to Mr. Satterwaite, even though he had actually won. Right. It came up on five, but he gave it to the countess. And even so she then, had on um, six. Mr. Satterwaite doesn't say anything because he's a gentleman, but he's a little bit annoyed. And he's like, okay. And then Mr. Quinn... Um, was Mr. Quinn after this shows up? Yeah. Um, and Mr. Quinn's yes. like, hey, I want to have a party. And it's a magic party that we're going to go to a Bohemian cafe. You got to think 20s Bohemian, right? Um, and you have to go out and he says it to Mr. Satterwaite and to the young American man and find and bring the first person that you run into and bring them to this Bohemian camp cafe and we'll have a party, a supper, a dinner party. Right. And it can't, it kind of felt like class play because it's like, we're having this party right, at a yeah. place that it's okay <laughs> to bring anybody. So invite the first person you see. So it kind of felt like, you're going to show up with someone you normally right. and there would is, be too you know, good I'm, to hang out with. This whole 1920s, you know, young people in the 1920s who are messing with classes is a thing. And obviously, Agatha Christie's talked about it before. So, you know, that's anyway. So, uh, uh, Satterway brings the young American girl. Uh, the young American boy brings the countess, which is not a surprise because he's been had a crush on her. And then Mr. Quinn brings the croupier. Right. Croupier. Um, and yeah, oh, they were in Monte Carlo. 
So, but um, yeah. And um, that we're always okay, Mark. And so now they're sitting in this, um, you know, Bohemian cafe having um, wine. I remember they talked about Mr. Quinn kept on bringing out bottles of wine, and they're chatting and they're eating, and telling stories. And then the croupier was like, "We never even got his name, right?" He's like, let me tell you a story. I don't think so. I was a jeweler and I love. Um, yeah. I... Oh, he told well, it he in tells, third he, person. No, he told That's it in third right. person. There was a jeweler. He's like, yeah. there was a jeweler. There was a jeweler and he found a beautiful young woman who was desperate and. Yeah, and, and and he was supposed to be marry someone his family had chosen, but instead he fell in love with this person who was like probably from the street. And then they get married, but, but they have a terrible relationship. Um, she was mean to him all the time. She was yeah. Mean. It sounds terrible. Yeah, she was mean all the Their time. Their relationship sounds terrible. I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, and then she leaves him. And comes back to his shop, mm-hmm. and she's got. She leaves him, and then right. years and she later comes back, comes back she... to kind of show off, like how fancy she is now. Because he was, according to her perspective, right. he was a dick to her and... back then. Because he was like, basically, when their marriage goes all wrong, when he married her, he's like. She's beautiful, but she's oh, beneath right. me, so she should be fucking grateful. And so he's he's a jerk to her, and so I don't think she appreciated like being with someone who's like, you should be fucking grateful. That's and so right. he's the worst. And so she leaves him one day, and then comes back all drip, you know, dripping with jewels. And then and she like, tries to get him made to her way up, fall into like, her arms, and be like, "Don't you miss me?" And he's like, "No." She was like, dang it. I was just trying to get you to say that you missed me and then laugh in your face because I don't need you anymore. I got the jewels. And then she leaves and his <laughs> life goes right. badly and he loses his jewelry shop and he loses money and he ends up a croupier in Monte Carlo, which, you know, now we're like, oh, this is you. Um, and years later, he sees her again and um, recognize her, but she doesn't recognize him. Even though she's now like 50, now she's even older, right? According to the croupier. Right. Um, they keep, yeah, they keep aging her more. Then um, he can tell that she doesn't have the jewels anymore. She's sold everything, including the jewels from the King of Mosnia. And it was interesting comment on class because mr s had been like oh she's fine because i can tell because she has these beautiful jewels and these nice clothes meanwhile the (laughs) was like oh i see her she starts off with nice clothes and nice jewels and then like she's slowly replacing the and i know because i was fake so i know. know the stones and then, you know, she's obviously keeping her nice clothes because, like, the most important thing is your credit. So you're not going to look walk around looking broke because you don't have any credit anymore. So she's basically right. broke rich where she's, like, 
living in these circumstances, but she has to keep up the appearances. But she's super broke. She's really broke, and he he's probably and then the only she's one trying that to find young men who are still attracted to her. But she's obviously aging, and harder for her to get the jewels, and because to get a rich boyfriend. So anyway, right. so that bet right. that was made at the roulette table was actually all she had, like. It was like her last ditch and effort. And then she lost. She put it all on six. And the croupier chose to give it to her instead of Mr. Satterwhite. Right. Five came up, but she had bet six, and the croupier pretended not to notice. But his, his reputation on the line, because right. we know how the house and is. Then, the house doesn't like you to cheat. Um, and then it. And so gives it all to this her. This part of the story, and then he's where the croupier is telling the story at the dinner party. She interrupts and says, "Why? Why did you give all the money after that whole drama?" And she, he basically says, "Well, I felt sorry for you. Pity." Yeah, he said he said pity. And then she like and she's like she goes real cold, and she's like, "Thank you for the story." And she rolls up um, a light to light his cigarette. And then and she leaves lights and says thanks for a nice evening and leaves the restaurant. And then the croupier looks down yep. and realizes what she lit his cigarette with was the money she got from that roulette bet. 500 francs. Yeah, it was like a whatever hundred, 500 franc note. So it was like the full winnings from what he had done to, to cheat for her. Right. Because she and was she like, fuck your the restaurant, And it was very dramatic. And the croupier was like, what an amazing woman kind of thing. Like, they clearly had a tumultuous relationship. But he was like, damn, girl. Yeah. And then, yeah. And this was another big happy ending because, like, he runs out after her. And then the <laughs> Americans are both like, well, gosh, we can't deal with no one of them weird right. foreigners so anymore. Clearly Let's the young American boys together. Been all, like, ooh, Countess heard this whole story and was like okay you guys are getting to weird zone um this is a lot i just thought this you is were a, a lot woman in your 30s but it turns out <laughs> that you got all sorts of drama and also you're 50 so <laughs> right so at the end mr s says to mr quinn like oh good for the lovers and and mr quinn's like which ones because both the Americans are going to go be off together, but also this woman and her ex-husband might... And again, it's been years, and I, I, I do see the argument in but also, I was a dick like, when I was younger. You know, the whole thing of them, if they could come out each other as equals now. Right, right, exactly, because like he had the power, and then she had the power, and at this point, right, like, and then even when he it's, had it's the all power about power for the money, them. She's like, I won't take it. But now they're both not wealthy. Yeah, they're both so broke. <laughs> right, so they could maybe. But it's start very equal footing, right? At an equal footing. So, anyway, yeah. So there's no death. I don't know who. You're right. There's no death in that one. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. So, so from what we're learning about our mythology of Mr. Quinn, and honestly, 
finishing this book and like when I went back and read it, like it made me want to be better versed in the classics and in like um uh you know mythology because I felt right. like me too there might be a reference. Right. There might be one of the one of the gods, you know, and if you know, like whether it's African gods or Norse gods or something, there might be like something that would like call to this more because it it feels so for um, <laughs> folklory. I really wanted to say a, a rude word, <laughs> folklory. I was really. It feels so much like folklore. I, was- I got there. <laughs> what is she doing? <laughs> Just trying not to say something obscene when I'm trying to refer to mythology. Oh, and God- it, I was so Why is she being so dramatic? Okay, Just my speech impediment. <laughs> no, yeah, no. If it, it um, felt like you know, and the, they keep referring to the Harlequin reference, but it definitely also felt like is this Loki and a Nancy, and you know, like. It just, it felt like, it felt deeper reference than I felt like if I was better versed in the classics or in, in other mythology that I might be able to like pull from, from some more stuff because it was just fascinating. Like both Mr. Quinn and Mr. S as characters both feel right, right. not human in a way. Right, right. And so which yeah what mythology is she drawing from is it just the harlequinade or is it other stuff because we're recognizing these other tropes that are part of of um stories well and when it comes to the harlequinade like and and we can i want to finish the stories before we totally analyze it um but i didn't think that the from my reading again I, i wasn't familiar prior to this of the harlequin character that it lined up with this Har- Mr. Harley Quinn because the Harlequin character is sort of like the entertainer. He keeps things going. He keeps things moving and he's lighthearted. And whereas this character is in the background, is a catalyst, is the person who asked the wise question. And so it didn't necessarily tie into my understanding of the Harlequin as, you know, sort of the jester lighthearted right right right. but of course since the harlequin story has been around for since the 1500s and i just was it today so (laughs) there probably are subtleties in its usage and maybe in the 20s it had a certain draw or especially as it related to that ballet because that was popular at the time right right so um I just looked, it was a 50,000 franc note that she burned. That's a big so, note. That's a big note. Just, yeah, I don't know what that We means. don't know what any of that work. means now. Times <laughs> but and... it sounds big. <laughs> so, um, I mean, just to roll anyway. up any bill and light it to light someone's cigarette, that's badass. Like, that's just right. like, you know? Right, yeah. So, yeah, this one is interesting because the young Americans, I wasn't too worried about. Yeah, the young, the young American man was in, you know, had a crush on the countess, but y- you didn't really see that going anywhere because the she countess was, you, you know, were worried about. But it, it's the other two. It's the countess and the croupier that maybe that's what Mr. Quinn is, you know, there for. 
Um, right. I think that's a good point. So, but anyway, but yeah, because if he speaks for the dead, or does he speak for love? Or does he speak for wounds? Because that one is definitely a about closure. Yeah, yeah, that one was totally about closure. closure. You know, and so... Because, yeah, because if Mr. Quinn hadn't brought the croupier to that dinner party, then... She would have kept that money. She would have kept that money, and they would have got together, and they wouldn't he would have he would have felt good about giving her this pity money, like it would have. But been... also probably bad. Probably I mean, yeah, he would have had all the ex feelings. And then you know, uh, the young American man might have been drawn more into her web, and it might have screwed up his relationship. Right. Um, before he's like, "Oh my God, you're a lot." And drama and I'm not old. ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've done uh, cocked for quite a bit. It's late. We're gonna have to make this a, a two parter. It is because, because the... no, but honestly, I will say that, like, I honestly, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this is my my favorite so far. And wow. I know more than the two Tommy Tuppence ones, huh? Yeah, and you know that I'm big on Tommy Tuppence, but like. I, I, this one is, those ones are fun. Like, those to me are like Kimmy Schmidt, but this is the good place. <laughs> Ooh. Like, okay. like, those are fun. Tommy and Tuppence are fun, but this is giving, this is giving me spirituality. This is making me think. This is making me like, making you want to become a better shift about my worldview and yeah. giving me, you know, like, and the ways that you can analogize whether it's Mr. S and or Mr. Quinn to different ways that we think about our spiritual being or our, our personal being, you know, like and and the ways that we exist and do, are there forces guiding us and all of those things. Oh, I just love it. Yeah, I think it's yeah. my favorite. And I had no wow. idea. Yeah, see what we started? Now you're like, oh my god, yeah. Yeah. And I've never seen any uh, movie or short story or TV show depictions of this, which would be kind of interesting because I think I'd probably be, you know, totally unsatisfied. <laughs> right. That's the thing. I, and I, I kind of like that. And in some ways, she sort of writes it like stage direction that would like go really well into TV because she'll describe it like she does so much more visual description like the harley quinn right. character mr quinn shows up and there's a shadow cast and there's like she t- she describes the and... visual effects a lot so it would in some ways translate really well but that because of that it would translate horribly because it'd be that like you didn't do it right it wasn't how it was in my imagination right yeah, yeah exactly and that's yeah so i'd be in, yeah i wonder if i'd ever be able to watch one of these and be like i oh, think it would have to be like wrong. the perfect actor casting and then it would be great like if both mr s and harley quinn were cast with the perfect actor right yeah it makes me wonder is mr quinn look young or old right exactly and that's why you i, I, I think about the um spirit of the mythology thing because like i could kind of picture him being um who's the actor 
who played a Nazi in uh, the Neil Gaiman series, American Gods. Oh, I don't know. And then he was fired and was this whole thing. Racism. He's the... He's so good. Anyways, he... So you haven't watched this. Okay, to the listener and of the Porsche. You guys have to watch (laughs) this, but also don't support it. Because... So Neil Gaiman wrote a book, American Gods, and then they made it into a TV series. And the character that plays Anansi is so good. And he has such a phenomenal message like it's an american black message and he's a god because it's in a god world um Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating and so good and then like a bunch of weird racist hollywood stuff happened so like he wasn't renewed but like he was that character there's no way you can like Mm. unviv him you know and just replace him with a new actor like he was that character um, mm. And it, I guess it was really like screwed up the way that everything went down um, with him not being renewed. It seemed like it, maybe he was like saying things that the network didn't want to hear. But anyways, it feels like he could he's the kind of powerful influence that could be the Mr. Quinn character. But then again, having it be if you cast it as a black character, does that make it, you know, turn into ma- magical Negro Trope. Right, right. Which, you know, obviously the the Italian original Harlequinade, the Italians were trading in slaves during the 1500s, 1600s. Did the Harlequinade have Well, that and that's what, that's what, when Bianca and I were looking it up, what we ran into was like, this was like this fool character and then it went into like a happy slave, which seems to yeah. translate into the American magical negro like that sort of like into vaudeville you can see the direct lineage which is kind of gross but when you look at this book as an isolated book without me looking up that reference i wouldn't have got any of that because mr quinn's character is serious and well he is just sort of he pulls out but he doesn't pull out because nothing would happen if he wasn't there right right so he doesn't pull out and he doesn't and there's no levity there's no laughing at him he's actually the most the person you take the most seriously so they didn't have a lot of the elements that i would think of that trope but i right which is more mr s is more that yeah i guess so observer and a kind of a confidant and then, yeah, because it's interesting because it's like, and a we don't really know anything about Mr. S except for his age because no one, there's no narrator to comment on him besides himself. So all we know right. is his age, but we don't and know what he looks like. And then he's little, taste. that he's small. They talk about yeah. him being small. Right. And so there's things that him. make him come off as like gay ish to us, but also, again, like I feel like he's sort of, and I, it's interesting because I, I didn't think about it as a two-spirit thing, but the way that he's sort of revered. Right. Because like, like the people that interact him. with him are like, oh, you're like a woman. This is awesome. Which is not something you typically hear in media. <laughs> like when right, someone right. is telling a man that he's like a woman, it's an insult. But in this, right. in this book, it's like, oh, you're like a woman. You get it. Let me tell you everything. And it's right, not an insult. Right. And everybody opens up to him, not just women. Right, everybody does. Yeah. 
Well, we should probably cut that off because there's some really cool stories left, but we can, okay. we can do that forever. super late my time. Yeah. So, uh, so next episode will be part two of the mysterious...